Global Broadcasting Networks presents Coach Talk Radio. Create the time, money, and lifestyle you want with tips, tricks, and techniques that get you started today from some of the best internet minds in the business. Now, here are your hosts, internet brand strategist Sandra Beck. Hey, guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here today with my lovely co host, Angela Breidenbach. And this is part of our writing series here on Coach Talk Radio. Now, many of you have written in asking for writing advice, saying you want to write the great American novel or a business book or, you know, whatever it is. So, we have brought together some of the best minds in the business. And my lovely co host, Angela Breidenbach, is to me my mentor, my friend. She's also an extremely gifted and talented writer. So, I'm going to have her introduce herself in just a minute. But today we're going to talk about creating chemistry and tension. Now this is romantic tension. This is the thing that like gives shivers up your spine and and just makes a book so delicious you can't put it down. We're also going to add on some special guest stars to the conversation today. Uh, Sandra Orchard and Doc Mabry. Now we're going to introduce them in a minute, but we're going to have some roundtable discussions on creating romantic tension that you're just going to love. Now I've got my pen and paper handy because Angela, you know, even I take notes every show because as writers, we can never learn enough about our craft. Would you please introduce yourself for our listeners and then bring on our special guests? Wow, I feel like a special guest being here with you. You always make me sound so good. Thank you. (laughs) Good. You're you're just awesome. Well, my name is Angela Breidenbach, and I am from Montana, and I'm the Christian Authors Network president. And what that means is I help to run a large group of professional authors who have traditionally published works. And a lot of us are also what you would call a hybrid, where we do some self-publishing also. And in that, the career that I've had, I've had the blessing of working with Tamela Hancock-Murray as my agent, the Steve Lobby Agency, and I've, I've also been able to work with Writer's Digest as a book judge. So it's been really, really fun to be a part of all of that. And it just makes you feel really good inside to be able to help someone else be able to do that too. And I think whenever we go through things in our life, that it makes it meaningful when we can share that with others, not just, oh, I have a best-selling novel or something like that. You know, that's really cool. But it's when you can help somebody else become a best-selling author or when you can help somebody else overcome something that they have experienced in their life through reading what you've you've written, then you've become a blessing in somebody else's life because it's really not about what you've achieved. It's about, at the end of the day, who you've helped and whose lives you've touched and whose mind has melded with yours through the written word. And so today I'm really excited to introduce um, a couple of our authors that are from the Christian Authors Network also. And I'd like to introduce Dr. Richard Mabry. He's a retired physician. He's now writing Medical Suspense with Heart. And I've read his work and it's really fun. His previous novels have garnered critical acclaim and have been finalists for ACFW's Carol Award, the Romantic Times Inspirational Book of the Year, the Inspirational Reader's Choice, and the Sela Award. He's a proud member of several writing organizations, including ACFW, the International Thriller Writers, and of course, the Christian Authors Network, and the FHL chapter of RWA. Medical Judgment is his 10th published novel, and it's really an honor to know Doc Mabry. Say hi, Richard. (laughs) Hi. I'm a man of few words. (laughs) 
But what's really nice, though, is when you put those words to the page, you do it in such a way that draws us along as readers. Where did you learn that skill? If you were to tell somebody that they um, could learn how to write tension on the page for a medical thriller, where did you learn that skill? Well, first of all, let me tell you where I did not learn it. I did not learn it writing professional papers and editing or writing medical textbooks because uh, <laughs> those those went out the window when I actually got into this writing game. Uh, I think actually I've learned from others. I've learned from study. I've learned from people. Uh, James Scott Bell, who is one of my mentors, says that no matter what you're writing, uh, your, your hero or heroine has to face death, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's professional, there's got to be something at stake. Uh, and that's that's what I try to put in. So in medical judgment, what is the death that your character is facing? Is your character facing professional or physical? Or, or tell us a little bit about that. She's facing physical and psychological death. She, uh, first of all, someone is out to get get her, quote unquote. But also she's facing psychological death because she is... She is still trying to get over the loss of her husband and her child uh, who were killed uh, not not too long before. So she's facing both of these. And so we see both her attempt to find out who wants her dead and why, and also her attempt to get back into the persona that uh, that she had before their death. So uh, she's facing both kinds. So this is sort of what we would call uh, internal and external motivation, right? Uh, both, yes. There would both in, be both internal and external motivation, yes. Now, Sandra. Dr. Sandra here. I want to ask you, how much did your experience in the medical profession play with, with creating this tension? You know, you have probably experienced more medical drama than anybody, you know, even probably listening today. Did you farm from your experiences when you write? Uh, yes and no, I guess, uh, which means I'm on the fence. Uh, as as an otolaryngologist, that is an ear, nose, and throat specialist, I had very few uh, actual face-offs with death, and my patients didn't either. But the difference is I speak the language. Uh, I have to think in terms of what, uh, what problems can occur, and then I have to do the research because uh, things change literally day-to-day, uh, week-to-week, month-to-month. And I've been retired for more than a decade, but I still speak the language. So what I've learned to do is, first of all, to select some of the scenarios. And then secondly, to insert uh, an explanation of what's going on without it being obvious. In other words, you can read my work. You will see behind the scenes and mental uh, scenarios, but you, you will not you will not be left stranded. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's really important, too, when you introduce something. Um, newer writers sometimes don't realize they need to add that definition so you don't lose the reader. And that helps them gain knowledge, which is another reason why people read. They want to gain the knowledge, the behind-the-scenes kind of thing. So I think it's in, an important element for that. I also want to introduce now, I want to bring on Sandra Orchard. Um, she is 
a wonderful writer who writes fast-paced, keep-you-guessing mysteries with a dash of sweet romance. Her novels have garnered six Canadian writing awards, a Romantic Times, I remember, by the way, when she got her first one, I was so excited, a Romantic Times Reviewer's Choice Award, and a National Reader's Choice Award, a Holt Medallion Award of Merit, and a Daphne du Maurier Award for Excellence in Mystery and Suspense. And you can learn more about Sandra's novels and bonus features that she has on her website at sandraorchard.com. Sandra, can you come on and say hello to us? Hi, Angie. It's great to be here. I am so glad. Do you remember going to Margie Lawson's um, intensive with me? <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Best part about writing is hanging out with other writers, especially on a mountain in Colorado. <laughs> That was so much fun. And one of the things that I'd love you to go into that I think came out of that was when we learned how to create page turners and and backload a sentence. Do you mind sharing what you think that means? Absolutely. The thing about creating tension and what I love is the fast pace uh, of the story, not the romance is to use short sentences, strong nouns and verbs, and especially, like you said, at the end of sentences or the end of paragraphs and the end of chapters especially, to have that power, you want to end each chapter with a punch that keeps the reader turning the page. And that might be uh, a scary thing that has to do with the suspense, for example, I have a chapter that ends, um, <laughs> it just went out of my head. I have a chapter that ends, an earpiecing scream split the air. So, of course, the reader wants to know what happens, so they're going to turn the page. But you can create that tension in romance, like we're talking about today, by having it be a punchy thing that puts the condition or state of the romance in question. So the reader's going to keep turning the page to find out what's going to happen. And of course, you don't take them there on the next chapter, which is the key to writing page turners. I think page turners are, are the most elusive thing for a lot of writers. And it gets to be difficult um, understanding how to do it without making it sound campy. And I think both um, Doc Mabry and Sandra Orchard have that skill, which is why they're such award-winning authors. Well, you know, and what what struck me most listening to you guys, and I I really am honored to have Doc Mabry, Sandra Orchard, and Angela Breidenbach today on the show, because as a new writer to this genre, I'm so excited to learn from all of you. But what you guys mentioned, all of you at some point, is your attention to the craft and how we all need to keep learning and attending conferences. And, and, you know, boy, you look at Doc Mabry, he's got a medical degree, but yet still he has things that... That he needs to learn in his craft, and Sandra Orchard and Angela Breidenbach are best-selling authors in their genre. Angela, before we go to commercial break, what do you think is the most important tool or thing that somebody can use when they're first learning to create tension? Um, when they're first learning to create tension, um, just keep this one thing in mind. Start in the middle of the action and go forward from there. That helps you at least become aware that you aren't going to talk about he got out of bed, he went and he got a drink of water, he decided to eat breakfast, and it becomes this really blotting story. 
Excellent. Great advice from Angela Breidenbach. You can check her out at AngelaBreidenbach.com. That's B-R-E-I-D-E-N-B-A-C-H. You can also check out Doc Mabry at R as in Richard, R Mabry, M-A-B-R-Y.com, Sandra Orchard. Love it. Sandra Orchard spelled just like it sounds, SandraOrchard.com. Now, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk more about creating tension, creating romantic tension, and how do we build a page turner? And what do we do at the end of the chapter? Do we just leave people hanging? Do we wrap things up? These are questions we're going to ask with our roundtable guest, Sandra Orchard, Angela Breidenbach, Dot Baby. This is Sandra Beck from Coach Talk Radio. We'll be back after the break. Years ago, some fishermen off the coast of Italy discovered some pottery along with fish in their nets. Divers were called out and discovered an ancient Roman ship whose galley, or caboose, a nautical term for kitchen, was extremely intact. Some of the food uncovered on board was pickled fish, wine, oil, and grain used to make the ship's biscuits, otherwise known as dandy funks. It is thought the 2,000-year-old boat was probably on its way to Spain when it sunk and was covered by layers of mud, baggy wrinkles, and all. Baggy wrinkles are another name for the ship's ropes. The mud protected the ship from wear, explaining why the leftover food on board was still in such good condition. We land lovers may not be familiar with leftovers on the sea, but we are familiar with leftovers in our kitchen. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Preparing your lunch at home and bringing it to school or work is usually a much healthier alternative than going out or ordering hot lunch. Weight Watchers offers some pointers to make preparing lunches a more pleasant experience and not a chore. Prep your foods on the weekends by cutting up veggies and putting them in Ziploc bags in the fridge. Multitask during meal preparation when making dinner at night. Prepare lunches for tomorrow at the same time and keep them in the refrigerator until morning. Have the kids help you put the lunches together. They can assist you and the job will be smoother. Make healthy lunches at home a priority and assure that you and your children are eating healthy, low-calorie meals. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Taking care of business every day. Taking care of business every way. Taking care of business. It's all mine. Taking care of business. Working overtime. Taking care of business. Taking care of business. We've been taking care of business.
guys and dolls. This is Sandra Beck, and we are here today on Coach Talk Radio with Angela Breidenbach, Doc Mabry, and sometimes Sandra Orchard. We're hoping to get her back for the rest of the show. Uh, we're talking today about creating chemistry and tension. Now, one of the questions that was written in for today's episode was, what do you do when you end a chapter and you start a new chapter, how do you keep that tension going? How do you keep that 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 energy flowing? And Angela, I'm going to ask you first, and then we're going to go to Doc Mabry. I think the most important thing is to keep ante, upping the ante on the stakes. And as you're building toward the, the climax of the ending of the chapter, um, sometimes it depends on the genre that you're in, but sometimes you can do that in just like little elements. And, um, when we talk about little elements, it's like, what are they thinking? What are they seeing? What are they feeling? What are they tasting? What are they, you know, when something scary is happening, is the hair raising on their arms? Is there, you know, is there some internal sense of alarm going off, but you don't quite tell them what it is and then at the end of the chapter if you can leave them with a hanging question and it's really important that they that they get that answer to that question so then they're going to turn the page and and i've asked um doc if he would read us a couple of chapters at the end and we'll kind of see that build into a cliffhanger for the end of the chapter yeah and and by the way i may be the only one in this group, or even the only one in the audience who remembers what a true cliffhanger is. Remember <laughs> the old Saturday serials, there was always, uh, the term cliffhanger came from the fact that the heroine usually was hanging from a cliff at the end of it, and then you got to come back the next week to see what's going on. Uh, as my wife, who is my first reader, my biggest fan, and my most severe critic says, you've got to write something at the end of the page that makes the reader want to know what happened there. Uh, this is from Miracle Drug, which was recently uh, a finalist for the, the Carroll Award. Uh, in it, uh, the, the doctor has uh, has just uh, sat down with his, the woman who is going to be his fiance. Uh, he has seen the ex president of the United States, and uh, and uh, he's already kind of flummoxed with the fact that he's now become the, the uh, physician. But uh, he says, he asked me to see him in my office tomorrow, but he led me to believe it would only be a routine get-acquainted visit. Rachel held her napkin to her mouth to smother a violent cough. When she stopped, she said to Josh, I think you'd better check him over again, and maybe someone should have a look at me as well. In other words, uh, this is where it, this goes for a routine checkup, to they have been infected with some kind of an organism, and we see later on tension just a bill as that organism is identified, and then they find that there there may not even be enough medication to treat everybody. So uh, it, it's a matter of wanting the reader to turn the page and see, well, what, that's that's unusual. That's different. I wonder what's going on, uh, and 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 that's the cliffhanger. So let's have Sandra Orchard take that a little further then. Um, Sandra, what do you think about coming in and going out of a scene to give it a cliffhanger? So my motto for plotting is start late, 
leave early. Mm -hmm. So this keeps the stories fast paced and it builds the intensity, like you said, to start in the middle. So start where the action is happening, but also leave in the middle, like before you know what's going to happen next. So I always start as late as I can. So the story makes sense. But then I pull out in a in a spot that will leave the reader wondering what's going to happen next. And the ideal is that you start the next scene from a different point of view to keep the reader needing to read longer to find out what that last person who directed the question is thinking about in response to the action. It's really important, too, that if you're doing that and you're leaving and you're switching um, point of view or POV, that you don't leave them hanging for like 10 chapters, right? (laughs) No, in romantic suspense, you're usually actually still in the same action because most of the time the hero and heroine are on the page together. So you're just seeing the scene from a different person's eyes now often sometimes you're jumping to a whole different scenario and you're going to learn what happened from that new person's perspective let let me jump in here and say that uh that i have a little different take on it i rarely or maybe about half the time will pick up in the next chapter where the previous one ended uh but i agree with you i don't uh i don't last you know i don't keep them hanging uh, for a prolonged period of time. I might go one or two scenes, but then I get back and answer that question. I've been having this, this, okay, if you put a bullseye in the middle of the computer and slam your head, you know, because you're just so Mm -hmm. frustrated with it, with a story. And I've been doing that all month, truthfully, all month. It's been a tough one. And so what I finally realized was kind of going back to the basics of plotting to help me pull through the tension of the story. And and that was not just the what if question, but instead of trying to create the segues right away between the chapters, which I normally comes really easy, wasn't coming easy on the story. And so I just went back to just write the next plot point. And I found that as I wrote the next plot point that I could expand on that idea and then I could skip back a couple chapters and lay in um, whether I needed a red herring because I write, as as you all know, I write historical romance and contemporary romance. But there's still those moments where you drop a red herring or you drop a seed that's going to fruit later. Um, how do you guys do that? I like to call it finding the toys on the page. So (laughs) oftentimes you've left things in a previous scene. So when you're stuck, you go back and you look at previous scenes or chapters for things that you haven't drawn on that you can play with. And that's the fun of writing, going back and finding the toys and playing with them. And Mm -hmm. as a suspense writer, when I read say a contemporary romance and and they give a lot of details about something say a pretty pillow on the couch i'm expecting somebody to be snuffed out with that pillow so <laughs> you know we, we play with the details and that's the thing with building the tension in romance it's all in the details at those key points that is an excellent way of saying it doc what do you do to layer in tension 
Well, uh, first of all, I agree with you about the pillow, but I've forgotten who it was who said it. If, if, Sandra. <laughs> if, you introduce a, if you introduce a gun in the first act, it has to be used in the second act. Right, mm, uh, Swain. Oh, just googling that as we talk, you know, to find out, like it's it's Chekhov, and right. it's it's Chekhov's gun, which is that dramatic principle that if you say in the first chapter there's a rifle hanging on the wall, you know, then you ne- you better be able to use it. So um, there's a bunch of versions of the quote, but I was doing the same thing. Yeah, and it's in included in Dwight uh, Swain's book as well in talking about how you um, you've written a promise to the reader. You know, and and it, you've got to fulfill that promise. Oh, I, I agree, and, and I also agree with what had been said previously that you you start in the middle of the action. Sometimes the second chapter is the best first chapter. Uh, I, I pulled Medical Judgment, which is my latest uh, book, off the shelf here, and uh, at the end of the first chapter, page nineteen, if anybody's uh, anybody's keeping score, uh, this is one of the few books where I actually introduce. The mind of the prota- the uh, the villain, rather. Uh, I think it's interesting. Uh, the last paragraph here on on this page says, "Well, that was the point of the whole exercise, wasn't it? He didn't want to kill her, not yet. First, she had to suffer, not necessarily physically, but she had to suffer. That's what this was about: the waiting, the wondering, the fear, the dying would come later." Oh. <laughs> Those are the ones that give you the chills and it's like getting inside the the mind of the antagonist. And and I have to tell you, I admire both Doc and Sandra Orchard deeply for what they do because I am way too squeamish to get inside the mind of the antagonist, the the villain. It's like my antagonist is – huh? The Hannibal Lecter. It's it's oh, hard. Yeah. I agree with you, Angela. It's like some people are really good at slipping right into that Hannibal Lecter mode, you know, and being able to write from that perspective. I like Doc. When you read that, you gave me chills. I got all squeamish, and you know, I'm like, ooh. <laughs> and so I read I'm Sandra Orchard. We've got just a couple minutes before break. Sandra, what is your best piece of advice for creating tension before we go to break? Well, if we're talking about romantic tension, you want to uh, pinpoint the key transition points in the relationships and really focusing on ratcheting up the intensity of those points. Pause and draw out the moment with more details because you remember when you fell in love you you remember the first time he touched the small of your back you remember the first kiss you remember the sound of his voice the first time you heard it you notice smells tactile things sounds tastes with a way more vivid awareness than at other times and so you you feed that into the page not in a long descriptive paragraph but in very specific word choices that show the attraction and up the intensity of what's happening between them. I like to call it you go on high alert. I need to take us to commercial break. This is Sandra Beck of Coach Talk Radio, my lovely co-host, Angela Breidenbach. We are visiting today with special guest stars, Doc Mabry and Sandra Orchard. Now, when we come back from the break, we're going to discuss more about creating tension and and sustaining it because it's one thing to create it. It's another thing to carry it through two or 300 pages. 
If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the million-dollar mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the million-dollar mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. You've just finished an invigorating workout. You feel refreshed, rejuvenated, and you are ready to seize the day. The question is, should I eat after my exercise? The answer is yes. I tell my clients to eat as soon as possible after they exercise and always eat within an hour of your workout. This window of time is the most beneficial period for your body to receive post-exercise nutrition. Focus on protein and complex carbohydrates to replenish your body. Whole grains and brown rice are good for your complex carbohydrates. For protein, eat skinless chicken breasts, fish, beans, eggs, and protein shakes. Fuel your body within one hour of finishing your workout and keep your energy reserves in tip-top shape. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Taking care of business every day. Taking care of business every way. Taking care of business. It's all mine. Hey guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Angela Breidenbach, and this is Coach Talk Radio, and we have two special guest stars. We've got Sandra Orchard and Doc Mayberry. All three of my co-hosts and special guest stars have excelled in their industry. And today we're going to talk about not only word choice, but sustaining tension. Now, I live with my thesaurus, Angela. I have it on my, I have old thesauruses. I have new ones. I have one in England, you know, that was produced in England because, you know, there's different words. And then I have my online resource. I love word choices because they really can evoke a mood and create an image that, a whole sentence can't do as well as the right one word choice. You know, it's so true. And it's funny because as you're telling me you have a thesaurus that's um, made in, in Britain, boy, guess who needs to buy that? Because now I'm <laughs> suddenly writing uh, people in Scotland. And so on my internet, I have different pages up, the Gaelic language and Scots tongue. And I'm actually using those uh, in choices for characters. But I think it's important to note that as we go into genre and as we go into character voice, we can't use the same thing for each person or they sound the same. Um, now, Doc, I have a question for you. When you were learning how to write suspense on the page and the, the words you wanted to choose and how you wanted to do that, what do you think was some of the most helpful um, tools or classes or, or elements of getting that part of the craft down? One of the things that helped me the most was, I think it was my first or second trip 
to uh, one of the writers' conferences, and I asked Jeff Gerke, who happens to be a writer and an editor and publisher for that matter, uh, to to have a listen to what I was going to write. And so I remember very well sitting down in uh, the sofa uh, talking to him, and I would tell him what was going to happen, and he said, so what? Uh, and I thought, well, I'm not being specific enough, so I tell, told a little bit more. Uh, so what? Uh, and this went on for quite a while, and long enough for me to get angry. Uh, yes. Finally occurred to me, what he is saying is, what's at stake? Uh, and if if what's at stake is not much, the reader isn't going to care much. There has to be a fair amount of uh, of being of what's at stake here, and then you may use different words, you may use different scenarios, you may say it or do it in different ways, but you have to drill down to what's at stake, what happens if they don't achieve it, what happens if they do achieve it. So that that has been helpful to me as far as words are concerned. Uh, I choose what the character is doing. And then I look and see uh, see what we we have to use to express that. I think we could sum up um, over this writing series a couple of really helpful questions. Then, and uh, earlier in the series, we talked about the "what if" question, um, which is like the basis of our how you come up with a plot. And what if this? Then what if then this? And you just keep what ifing it to death. But then you can say what if. So what? And so if you could boil down how to do a plot and how to add tension and keep those little things in your head of what if and so what, you could really draw on that to build a great plot with a lot of great suspense. But I'm going to take it one step further with Sandra Orchard. Sandra, tell me, you were talking about details. Um, how do you show the details on the page that adds to tension? Okay, before I tell you that, I'm going to add one more question to what you were just talking about. Ooh, and that's go for it. why. So what is kind of the same question, but I, he went to stakes and I was going to motivation. So especially in uh, romance, the why, why, why getting down to the deep, deep reason why we do something, not the surface reason of why we're trying to find the bad guy or change this situation. There's usually something much deeper. And the stories that really get to you go a lot deeper than that. That is so, so true. What was, your, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> um, how do you show um, the details on the page to, uh, to up the ante on suspense? Okay. To make us care. Right. So I incorporate the details often into thoughts. A favorite line of my first book, and I can't quote it exactly, but he refers to wish he could, that giant backhoe stuck in the mud could dig him out of this mess. So he's, he's having a thought about the mess he's in, but you're also getting a picture of the setting that it's wet and muddy and that there's, they're on a construction site that, that there's a big uh, bulldozer there. And if you drop your descriptions into the 
the plot, what's happening into the action and into their thoughts with very strong words, not a lot of, uh, flowery adverbs and adjectives, but strong nouns and verbs that give you vivid pictures of the taste, the sound, the sights, the feel of things, the smell. And then recognizing that there's key places to build those up. And those are where the suspense or the romance is really needing to ratchet up. So, Doc, when you're taking this into your writing um, and you read page 19 in there, he's talking about how he's going to, you know, create this sense of mental torture for his um, what for his victim. What do you do in showing his specific details from the mind of your of your antagonist? Well, I. I, what I have to do is walk there because you don't want to reveal too much or you'll reveal who the antagonist is. So what you have to do is to talk about uh, what what he you have to think about what he can do to cause angst uh, in the heroine uh, with the idea that eventually he is going to uh, he's going to try to kill her uh, without without. Uh, revealing why uh, of course you can you can certainly drop red hearings along the way how do you do that do they sometimes just like come to you and you have to go backward in the story and drop them in or or do you have that plotted out ahead of time oh no i am a total pantser uh i i ride with the seat of my pants so far as uh, as far as what's going on i do not plot but that ha- having said that let me say that i start off with uh, with just a hook, uh, and following the hook, then what I do is I, I I populate the story, and then I kind of figure it out. But I have on many many occasions gone back after the first ten thousand words, and that's that's a lot of pages. And when I see it's not going to work that way, I've got to go back and start again. But eventually, I have to I have to pull out of, of thin air. The, the ways in which uh, in which the uh, individual is going to going to get at the protagonist. So now I'm going to make a point here real quick that um, Doc Mabry is a medical thriller writer that has elements of romance. And mm-hmm. Sandra Orchard is a romantic suspense author. Um, and she I'm going to I'm going to go back. Up. She writes mysteries that have a moment with romance in the arcing series. And so it's really important to understand the difference of that. Um, can you sum up what you do, um, Sandra in about 30 seconds and then doc 30 seconds, and then it's going to be time for a break. Sure. So I write for two different publishers. The Harlequin love inspired suspense are definitely, you have romance in every chapter, suspense in every chapter, and they're equal plot elements in my mystery series. The stories are about the mystery and the romance is arcing the series. So it develops more slowly as the books progress. Mm. And Doc? Uh, and I write primarily for one publisher at a time. Uh, and basically I started off writing purely medical suspense, but I learned very quickly 
that since I've been told that 85% of the readers of Christian fiction are, are female, uh, women were probably my, my, uh, my target audience and therefore a female protagonist. But I very quickly learned that I would have a male and a female in there. Matter of fact, in some, some books I'd have both several males and, and a couple of females and I would bring the romance in as kind of a secondary line. I think that there's romance in just about every story out there if you really analyze them. Don't you? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean even even James Bond has romance. <laughs> Doesn't love the Bond girls. We love the Bond girls. Now we love the Bond girls. Right. We want to be Bond girls. Every well, it's like girls wanna be like the heroine and guys wanna be like the hero. And it doesn't matter what the plot is doing. If you can engage somebody in that that fantasy, that takeaway, you know, who doesn't want to be James Bond or who doesn't want to be Goldie Hawn and you know, or or her daughter these days. I guess Goldie's a little bit long in the tooth for this. But the point being is that we're all talking about engagement. They want to engage the reader, their fantasy life, their escapism, their intelligence. Is there anything I'm missing, Angela, in engaging the reader? No, I think it's really it's it's a combination of entertainment and uh, education, and it's and it's a place where you can escape to in your mind. So uh, entertainment, education, escapism. And I think that it just grows you um, through your reading into a different into a different person, and over time, um, that allows you to just be expand who you are. Well, well, absolutely. We have need to take us to commercial break. Doc, we'll pick you up after the break. We're visiting today with Angela Breidenbach, my lovely co-host at AngelaBreidenbach.com. We have Sandra Orchard. Check out her books on Amazon and go to SandraOrchard.com. You can check out Doc Mabry. His site is R, as in Richard Mabry, M-A-B-R-Y.com. You can check out his books. He's got 10 of them out there. So, you know, Angela, too, has got a ton, and so does Sandra. These are authors that you guys want to buy their books, look at them, see what they're doing, study their craft. Even these crafty writers are also learning and going to conventions and conferences to be the best they can be. Now, when we come back from the break, we're going to get to my biggest problem with a lot of books is leaving loose ends. you got to wrap it up with a punch and give me a good ending or I'm just going to hate the whole book. And that's, that's the truth. We'll be back after the break. for a long time that diamonds are precious or worth a lot of due to rumors. That means money. Did you ever wonder how a polished pebble becomes one of the most expensive things on earth? Two centuries ago, diamonds were worn only by royalty. But in 1870, miners discovered huge deposits of diamonds in South Africa. And soon after, the diamond market was flooded. That's when a man named Cecil Rhodes started buying up shares of the diamond mines. 
Eighteen years later, Rhodes controlled the entire South African supply of diamonds. He started his own newspaper and magazine articles with clever ad campaigns about cut, clarity, color, and carrot. He also convinced women that they weren't truly engaged to be married without a diamond ring. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. It is estimated that over 100 million Americans suffer from chronic pain. Some of that pain centralizes in the joints, and joint pain can be agonizing. Harvard Medical School says the culprits behind joint pain tend to be osteoarthritis, old injuries, repetitive or overly forceful movements during sports or work, posture problems, aging, and inactivity. Ignoring the discomfort will not make it disappear. And they say that limiting your movements can weaken muscles, compounding joint trouble, and affect your posture, which can cause further problems. On the other hand, the correct set of exercises can be a long-standing way to subdue hip, knee, ankle, or shoulder pain. Keep active and learn the correct exercises to strengthen key supported muscles and flexibility to put joint pain behind you. I'm Annette Hammond. Taking care of business every day. Taking care of business every way. Hey guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck and this is Coach Talk Radio. And we are uh, talking today with Angela Breidenbach, Sandra Orchard, Doc Mabry. These are some of the best authors in the business. Now, when I go to Sam's Club, which I did recently, and I plunked down $15 on a hardcover book. I like hardcover books. I know soft covers are very popular, but when I'm taking stuff around in my bag, I, I, want, a, I want a good hardcover. So I spent $15 on a book recently. I gave it three and a half hours of my time. I read it cover to cover, a voracious reader for my job, and the author didn't tie up the loose ends. And I was so frustrated. I actually returned the book. I returned it to Sam's Club. And I'm like, you know what, this does not deserve to be in my bookshelf. It's not going to take up space. Because as a reader, I need satisfaction. And if you're not going to hang a book, you know, leave something unfinished, because it's part of a series, you better do your homework in wrapping up the book. And that's one of my biggest pet peeves, Angela. Oh, I can't stand it when there's I, I understand when it's done skillfully and purposefully to draw you on through the story and in fact I'm going to ask um, Sandra Orchard to talk about the difference of you know drawing you on because she has a series that she does that with Sandra okay so I have two mystery series one that's finished called the Port Astor Secret series and when the first book came out I got a lot of hate mail from people who loved the book, but hated that they had to wait another year to find out what happens next. <laughs> and it, it wasn't so much that there was a cliffhanger, although they felt there was. The mystery that the book was about was resolved in the story. But there was a lot of character development and deeper character elements that I planned from the very beginning to carry through the entire series. And so to draw the reader to the next book, I, of course, ending ended with an enticing hook of something new happening. And so that's why they felt like, ah, I want to read the next book now, which is 
what I want to create in them, but unfortunately they had to wait. I already had the book finished, but it just takes a year for the publisher to get it out. Because of all that hate mail, when I did the second series, and it was love hate mail, you know what I mean? <laughs> I was going to ask you to clarify. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for the second series that's coming out now, which is a lot uh, lighter, more humorous, I do not uh, have a cliffhanger at the end. I definitely have character development that's going to happen. And people are looking forward to bringing those characters back that they've grown to love. But there's this very minor underlying uh deep hope that she has of one day finding the person who killed her grandfather. She's an FBI art crime detective and her grandfather was killed by an art thief when she was young. So that is there very quietly in the background as a deep, deep layer, but that's not, I don't bring it out at the end of the book as a cliffhanger. So people are very satisfied. That's the Serena Jones mystery series. Okay, so, and and how many books are in that series so far? There's going to be three. The second one, Another Day, Another Dolly, comes out in October. The first one was A Fool and His Monet. We had a lot of fun with the titles. And actually, I had a lot of fun with the readers in this book, going back to romantic tension i told my told my uh editor i did not want to have a romance arca series again so i have a couple of guys in the series and i told my readers at the end of the book vote for your favorite one that you want her to end up with at the end of the book so through the whole series i'm writing it as though either one because we've all had a been in love with a couple of guys right of course (laughs) or is it just me (laughs) no no of course (laughs) shh don't tell my husband (laughs) so doc can you expand a little bit on that on how you tie it up or how you create the that type of an ending that closes up the mystery because you say you write standalones so how do you do it versus sandra has kind of a series bible going on and um how do you do it with a standalone? Well, first of all, Sandra, don't feel individual because if you write standalones, you're going to get the following question. When's the next book? You know, <laughs> yeah. it takes us a year to write them and get them published and so forth. And it takes somebody a couple of days to read it. And that's yeah. just the way it works. Uh, and the reason that I write standalones is very simply that when I got my first publishing contract, I talked to the editor, I talked to the publisher, and they said, you know what, we've done a survey and we believe standalones are the way to go. Uh, then I got another contract with another publisher and they said standalones. So that's what I write. You know, you, you go where the money is. Let's face it. It's why, <laughs> why Willie Sutton robbed banks because that's where the money was. Uh, <laughs> what I try to do is to is to wind things up, but I have to keep in the back of my mind because don't tell anybody I don't use Scrivener. I, I keep you don't all, use Scrivener. I don't use Scrivener. <laughs> I'm a maverick, totally. but I keep it all in my head, and I have to make sure everything is tied up at the end, or that it doesn't matter. There are some people who leave uh, details unanswered uh, in order for the uh, for the reader. 
to make up their own mind and, and fill in the blanks, so to speak. I try to tie up the major things, and it absolutely drives me bonkers when I read a book and find that a major question is unanswered. But mm-hmm. that's kind of the way it is. So what I do is I keep I keep it in my mind. I make sure that it's tied up, but uh, but uh, it, it, but it uh, it's just simply a matter of uh, of getting most of the questions answered. And sometimes my editor will pick up on a question I've left unanswered. So, do Sandra? Do you do you use Scrivener? I have. With the two series, I started out with Scrivener. In the end, I usually go back to Word because I just like to see it all in one document. (laughs) But Scrivener is great for keeping a series Bible because Mm -hmm. everything's right on your screen. You can have all your character notes, and they're just listed in a sidebar that you just click there, and you go look something up quickly and then go back to the chapter you're working on it. Yeah, it ranges about uh forty fifty dollars, and I did buy it because it also can. This is Angela. In case you can get my voice mixed up with Sandra's, <laughs> I did buy it because you can actually convert your um, Word document or your document within Scrivener into an ebook or format it for doing any type of PDF or selling it online through um, CreateSpace or or Kindle or Kobo. It does all of those different things. But it'll also do things like store your photos. And uh, I haven't actually gotten into using it yet because I'm like like Doc and like Sandra. I kind of like my word because that's how I've been um, writing all along. But you know, one thing I do, I'll throw out this tip. I use track changes and I turn on my doc map, my document map oh, yeah, um, when sure. I write. Yeah. Do you? Okay. Oh, yeah. And then what I do is when I have a question that is a major or a minor plot point that has to be tied up by the end of the story, I can either highlight that and um, drop in a comment or I can um, copy paste that into another Word doc. So you can do this, you know, simplistically, or you can do it with with Scrivener. But Scrivener has a learning curve. A lot of people swear by it, and it's spelled S C R I V E N E R. I and Scrivener. And um, what happens for me is. I haven't had the time with the contracts, probably like Doc, probably like Sandra Orchard too, to take the time to take a class on how to use the software. But I bought it. <laughs> and I, to, to clarify, I own it, and I actually started my my last book with it and got about 10,000 words in, and I said, this is ridiculous, and, and I converted it to Word and, and moved on. But I have it, and, and several people have really swear by it. Uh, unfortunately, I don't. I think it has to do with a personality preference for how you like to work. And for me, I'm just very linear. And so that I stuck with Word, but I do want to learn the features of, you know, how to convert a, a document into an ebook or formatting, things like that. Um, folks, and if you have it on iOS, you can get it for like 20 bucks. But uh, to have the full-blown program and all that kind of thing, it's something you might you can take a look at. And if your personality pattern, your working style works with it better, then by all means do it. it like we've said, there's a lot of people who love it. And then there's some of us who just don't have the time to learn it yet to love it. 
while you're too busy writing best-selling books. Now, I need, uh, yeah, um, I need to take us uh, to the end of the show. First of all, I want to thank our guests. And, well, I want to thank my ho- co-host, Angela Breidenbach. You can find her at AngelaBreidenbach.com. Now, this is just one in a series of shows that we have done on Coach Talk Radio for new and uh, writers who are interested in switching genres or just improving the craft of writing. We talk about plots and subplots, character development. We talk about why to go to conferences. Now, these shows you can find on CoachTalkRadioShow.com. You can find on uh, iTunes under Coach Talk Radio. You can also go to TogiNet. That's T-O-G-I-N-E-T dot com for this and at least 10 other episodes. It's like taking a course. It's like going to a conference and you can listen to this from anywhere in the world. So I encourage you guys to check out our other episodes. Now, I want to thank our guest, Doc Mabry. His website is rmabry.com. I want to thank Sandra Orchard, sandraorchard.com. Now, these are some of the best writers in the business. I look at bookstores, bookshelves, and I look at the craft of their writing. If we're going to learn something, we want to learn from the experts. And Angela, you have been, well, I know we've only got a few seconds, but even you study your craft on a regular basis, and you're a prolific writer. Thank you. I think each one of us, Sandra, Richard, and I, uh, Christian Authors Network authors, we all are constantly improving our craft. It's important. Continual improvement. This is Sandra Beck on behalf of Angela Breidenbach, Doc Mabry, Sandra Orchard. I want to thank you for being with us today and check out our other episodes on CoachTalkRadio.com. You can also find us at Toginet iTunes, and we'll be back again next week with another show in our writing series, this time about organizing offices. Thank you for listening. On behalf of Sandra Beck, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques from Coach Talk Radio.